Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today, rumors are swirling about the 15-inch MacBook Air and possibly return of the 12-inch. We could see an iPhone hardware subscription this year. Apple may have broken some Dropbox workflows for users. And Apple's mixed reality may be coming at WWDC. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh and Collide. And joining me this week is my friend, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Okay, Stephen, if we could just, you know, get this podcast recording, that'd be fine. <laughs> Before we recorded, uh, Wes, you know, Thunderbolt dock issues, audio device issues, that's that's how you know you're a podcaster. You have audio connection issues. If you don't spend the first five minutes of the show getting ready for the show, then what is this? Exactly. Now, what, what Thunderbolt dock do you use? Is it the Cal Digit? Um, I can't remember. Uh, it's un- underneath the monitor over here. <laughs> right. Oh, and th- th- this was actually a Twitter thread because we were all sharing our quote-unquote messy desk photos, and then you shared a pristine desk. But one of the uh, things is you have this, like, net that came with your desk for cable management. So under your desk, all the cables just lay nicely in this net. And you have an motorized standing desk is that accurate yeah it's it's a desk from uplift that's the name yeah uplift i i figured out my dock it's a star dock thunderbolt dock they they've been around for 100 years it's just one of those so not star tech sorry star tech yeah i can't find the logo yeah i dare not touch anything under there just jiggle a wire loose but yeah it's it's star tech you're right okay yeah i'm familiar with star tech yeah they're good stuff i use a caldigit dock in one of my Mac Studio Thunderbolt ports for all these like random accessories. Uh, so, you know, a lot of good options out there. But okay, so your uplift desk, do you actually lift it up and stand to work sometime? Yeah, it's every now and then it's nice because I just get up, walk around. It is, it's especially handy when I'm like messing with review stuff oh, or taking true. photos and I'm going back and forth because I have my whole office set up. This isn't just yeah. like a desk in the corner of a living room like some people do. I have a little table for photos, little areas set up. So sometimes I'll get up and move around and it's nice to have the desk at standing height when I do that. I have a manual standing desk. It's the Husky desk from Home Depot. And I have like this handle I can crank up. But So it's like a win- like a, like raising and lowering a window in a car from the 1990s. <laughs> yes, exactly. But my cable management is such that I'm afraid if I lift the desk, a bunch of things will disconnect. So I have not tried to lift it any time recently. So if Uplift wants to send me a desk, listen, I'll try it. I'll make a video of it. That's cool. Yeah, it, the the net thing is really cool because I, I don't like that it's kind of a mess because literally all I did was just shove everything into that net yeah. and it just holds it and that's fine. Yeah, I kind of want to go in there and still wire all the bands up, band up all the wires. But what's nice is, is yeah, like it gets rid of all the chaos. There's a power strip hooked physically to the back of the desk's frame so mm. like this the frame of the desk is built to have accessories right. attached to it if you have a big enough l-shaped desk you can even buy a hammock uh-huh. that you know because you can raise the desk up like several feet and then just lay in a hammock under your desk if you want to <laughs> whoa that's a heavy duty desk to hold a person like in a hammock. Yeah, i think it has like a like a 500 pound weight limit or something like that whoa but yeah it's there it's a really heavy duty fancy desk this thing's thick too it's like an inch inch and a half thick of just actual like wood so instead of like compressed board so yeah it's it's really nice but the the netting's cool because again like you get all that junk in there you you hook all your stuff up you do some cable routing to get your stuff power on top of your desk and then i've got it set up so the the power cables that run from the desk to the outlets are just two cables coming out of the net i've got them bundled together with like a zipper pouch and they plug into the outlet. So that's the only thing going from the desk to the wall. And there's plenty of slack. So if I hit the 
you know, height adjustment. It just lifts up yes. and the the net comes with it. It's attached to the desk. I don't have to worry about anything pinching or getting lost. That's pretty sweet. I Listeners, if you have solutions for what I'm about to say, please tweet or mastodon me. But the, the biggest challenge is I have an APC on the desk because living in Florida, you never know if there's going to be a brownout or a blackout. With the Mac Studio, Studio Display, a bunch of video equipment in here, I didn't want power to be cut off randomly from that stuff. So I have an APC. I guess the answer is somehow mount the APC with the desk that would move. So this way, the only cable that's coming from the desk to the outlet is the APC itself. Is this APC kind of shaped like a, a, a classic tower computer almost, just like a big rectangle with outlets? It is, yes, that is what it is. All right, because you're gonna, uh, I'm gonna have to send you a photo because the uplift uh, uplift desk comes with a mount for uh-huh. what you would call like a CPU or like a like basically if you have a tower computer, if you're a gamer like they still do those or like people have those like drive things where they have like multiple drives and in in yeah. slots this thing holds that i believe it would hold your apc thing again because it can hold a lot of weight and i have it mounted there's nothing in it but you know it's just again because i reviewed this desk i wanted it to put all the parts together and yeah like this would exactly fit your solution i'll have to send you a photo all right i might be getting an uplift disc we will see these things are not inexpensive though yeah, listeners, let us know. If you have an uplift desk, uh, please tweet at me if it's worth it. And you have it with an APC because uh, that's a key part of the setup here. All right, that's desk talk. That's how we, we opened the show this week. Uh, one five-star review. I want to give a quick shout-out. K-Seek from the USA says it's the uh, favorite podcast he listens to on Fridays. So, K-Seek, thank you for that five-star review. And also, real quick, before we get into some news and rumors, there was the big game last week. I think contractually you're not supposed to say what the game is actually called or copyright, trademark, whatever. But if you watch the big game, did you did you watch it, Wes? I watched until after the halftime show and stopped caring. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a pretty good game by the end. Like, it came down pretty close, you know. Yeah, I heard that it was a close game, but close game. it being a Sunday night with a family with kids and stuff, like, we ate all the, all the food we cooked. The halftime show was over. Everyone wanted to go home, so we just kind of, yeah, we just flipped on some, <laughs> Last of Us and watch that instead of the rest of the game. Oh, is, that, is that good? Everyone's oh, saying yeah. that's really good. Oh, that's a perfect show. Like, it's like my favorite video oh. game of the modern generations, like storytelling gameplay wise. It's perfect. And they've oh, okay. captured it in a way that no one's ever captured a video game before on on film. So it's perfect. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I, I need to watch it. Everyone's saying it's amazing. But anyway, uh, the big game happened. And I just want to talk about the setup. I've been using this setup for a couple different things, but. We had the inside, it was playing inside on a TV with the Sonos Arc and Sub, and that sounded great, looked great. But I also like doing the outdoor patio setup, so you have like two viewing locations. I got this projector from Amazon and this screen, projector screen. It was like 50 bucks, 40 bucks, and it came with like metal stands for the screen. Screen slid around this frame, 100 inches, so pretty decent size, really easy to set up. And then the Apple TV, I'm telling you, Apple TV is a great option. You know, a lot of times if you're trying to be portable, it seemed like the Apple TV not be a great decision. But because you don't necessarily need to keep the remote with it, you know, you can just use the Apple remote on your iPhone. You know, I just have the Apple TV box with this projector. I set it up. And because the Apple TV can play to AirPlay speakers, multiple even, I was able to send audio from that Apple TV to the pair of Sonos 1SLs on the patio, plus a Sonos Move that I could put in different locations, you know, wherever people are sitting. 
and it really works out great. And I actually helped a friend set that up also, and he used his Apple TV to send it to even more Sono speakers than I have. And so Apple TV, you know, it is a, I guess, higher end like streaming box compared to Fire TVs and all that. But man, it is a really versatile device, and I just really like it. I mean, it's relatively cheap these days, especially if you go for an older generation. You can get on sale or used. You can buy a used Apple TV and not worry about it being broken. I mean, someone would have to be using it as a literal hockey puck for it to be broken in some way. <laughs> but yeah, so what did you think of the halftime show and like the Apple presence at the at the game? Well, you're going to have to describe that to me because I actually didn't watch the halftime show. Like, because we had a bunch of people over, like we did other things. Well, yeah, like we, for whatever reason, I I mean, I had people over too, but for whatever reason, we all kind of just quietly watched the halftime show and was, (laughs) yeah, no, Apple was very much at the show that you could tell from the get go. Yeah. We had Chris Stapleton singing the national anthem, but the, Mm. the guy from Coda who got the Oscar was signing the national anthem, which was you know, right. little little nod oh, from Apple. Right. And then the halftime show, as far as halftime shows go, you there wasn't like an Apple brand. They didn't like fly a logo in the background or anything. They did the announcers did say the Apple music halftime show about fifteen times before and after. But like otherwise you wouldn't know who would run it. And it, it that's fine. Like it, it was high production. I will say that the camera like movements and how they filmed it was very beautiful compared to other halftime shows where you kind of just have a static camera kind of trading places around the artist. This one seemed more choreographed Mm. and the dancers were very much in sync. Like it was kind of insane how well they, they had practiced. Like that just goes to the dancers and the artists. But yeah, we, we were a little bit concerned about Rihanna standing on a floating platform a hundred feet above the Super Bowl. It was it was a great show. Definitely not on the level like I compare it to the weekend. I really enjoyed the weekend's Super Bowl show. Yeah. But nothing will ever top Katy Perry riding in on an animatronic cat head with flamethrowers. Yeah. <laughs> but for those of you like Steven who missed the halftime show, you can go to Apple Music and watch it in spatial audio. If you watch any sporting program, especially, yes. the audio is always mixed terribly, but this is actually Apple's oh. recorded mix, so it'll sound much better than what you heard. So even if you watched it, go watch it with spatial audio turned on with some nice headphones, and it's it's pretty fun. Very cool. Well, that's very cool. Big game tech right there. Also, I know William is very interested in this, but just quick aside, Ted Lasso Season 3 returns March 15th, so uh, just about a month away, you'll be able to watch Ted Lasso again. I liked I liked the teaser. We know what happens to the believe sign in season two. So having that little that little comment go, it it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a good season. There, I like that they're wrapping it up. It's right. It's it's hard to say because again, they don't want to say that it's over. But I think the writers and everyone's pretty much acknowledged that this is the last season. And if you've been watching Shrinking, man, the guys making Ted Lasso are making Shrinking, and it's it's so good. It's a great show. Mm. It is, a, it is a great show. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, William, uh, maybe he'll read the script or something. Anyway, a bunch of rumors swirling around. Wanted to cover that. And then we'll get into this uh, Dropbox thing and Apple's change there. But some rumors about the 15-inch MacBook Air, possible 12-inch, and maybe we'll see an iMac later this year. 15-inch MacBook Air rumors we've been hearing for such a long time. But now Ross Young and Digitimes are all getting into it. I think Gurman's even talked about it. We could see as early as an April release for a 15-inch MacBook Air. We have not ever had a 15-inch MacBook Air. MacBook Air has almost always been 13. We had a 13 and an 11-inch for a while there, like back when netbooks were a thing, and Apple had the 11-inch MacBook Air. 
I think it would be interesting uh, for a 15-inch MacBook Air. would think maybe it's just the same M2 chip they throw in there as in the current MacBook Air. I think this is a large market. I think people do like larger screen laptops. A lot of people not in the Apple ecosystem buy large screen laptops, even if they're not great, even if they're slow or whatever. People just like those large screens for whatever they do on them, spreadsheets. But I don't know, how likely do you think this is? 15-inch MacBook Air, even in the next few months? It's one of those things where there's smoke, there's fire. We've been talking about a 15-inch MacBook Air from multiple reliable sources, uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, Ross Young. Yeah. Like, this has been bounced around, delayed and delayed again, if only because supply chain issues. Apple's really been dealing with a lot of problems in China lately. But So that's understandable. But yeah, I think this is a product that exists. It's just Apple's trying to find the right moment. Obviously like digitimes they're less reliable they said there was an m3 coming in this thing and it's no it's not it, like unless it released next spring sure but not not in 2023 not with an m3 so i would say like a spring to summer release window with an m2 processor fine we do have that one little quip from ming chi kuo a while back that said that this might not have the air moniker this might be something else so i did want to acknowledge that some people are saying, oh, 15 inches, that's not an air anymore. But if it has that thinner yeah. design, that new design that's not, you know, as big as a MacBook Pro, I still think this could qualify yeah. as an air. And this this is combined with, you know, maybe Apple will bring back the 12 inch MacBook. Just name everything MacBook. So you'll have a 12 inch MacBook and a 15 inch MacBook, and then there not be an air or any combination of, of those. But I, I want to say like I think the MacBook Air name is so ingrained in people's minds, so iconic now. I don't think going forward that we will have a time, and I'm not going to shave my eyebrows if I'm wrong about this, but I don't think we will ever have a time where there's just a MacBook and MacBook Pro and no MacBook Air. I feel like it is so pervasive just in people's mind space. Like Apple's going to keep that MacBook Air moniker around for a very long time. Yeah, I don't think Air is going anywhere. That name should definitely stick. It's just, it's a question of the lineup. So there's two names Apple uses on some products that isn't in the MacBook lineup, period. Ultra mm. and Studio. And I I wonder, because Studio we know is, I guess, technically higher than Pro. Because like if you look at the only thing with Studio in it, it has the M1 Ultra processor. So that's the only computer with that processor. You also have the Studio Display... And Pro Display XDR, so... That, that's separate and a little more messy. I'm talking more about the <laughs> yeah, Macs yeah. running an operating system. But Sure, sure. It's, it's interesting to look at the MacBook line and say, okay, well, we have, let's see, two Pro-level uh, computers way up at the high end. We have a Pro laptop that's not really anything that should go away very soon, the 13-inch. Then we have the Air, just singular. And then we have the old Air that's still for sale at the bottom. So... The lineup's a little messy right now, but it's understandable. But imagine if Apple just suddenly throws in two new computers. I can't see it not being called a MacBook Air, even at 15 inches. I think that name is too important. But a 999 12-inch MacBook, I think that works, even if they only sell 12 of them. Like, right. that, that thing's going to be a powerful little monster. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting if there exists a 15-inch MacBook Air the question that some people, they tweet at me and they ask me, like buying decision-wise, should they get a refurb M1 Pro 14-inch MacBook Pro or should they get an M2 MacBook Air? Like people are asking that question right now. I think that will be even more confusing when there's a 15-inch MacBook Air that might be more expensive than a lot of the M1 Pro configurations you'll be able to get both from Apple refurbished 
and maybe even like third-party stores refurbished. This this would be kind of a fourteen ninety nine computer. This would start at around fourteen ninety nine. The there's two things that could happen. Either the MacBook Air could move down the current a new model with the M2 could move down to 999 if Apple finds a way to do it. Right. This 12-inch MacBook is the wild card here because there is a desktop Mac Mini that you can get for 599 and that is the cheapest Mac in existence that you can walk in and get Mac OS. Like now and look at the iPad line. There's an iPad Air for 499, right? What's stopping them from releasing the 12-inch MacBook at some insane price like 699? Because it's just, it's like the display and the chip, the pro, the M2 processor, all that, that's in the iPad Air, not that much more insane than an iPad Air, you know? Right. And I think if the 12-inch MacBook does come around, I think it'd be an easy win to say M1 chip in the 12-inch MacBook. You know, because before I had a 12-inch MacBook for a little while, it had the Intel M chip, which was terrible. But to have that form factor with an M1 chip, even though that M, like the M1 sounds like kind of old now, but it is still an incredible chip. I would argue it'd get M2. I mean, I understand that Apple wants it to probably be cheaper, but the M2 is still is in mass production. They're they're saving on every chip they make. I, I would argue that M2 is fine. They're not going to come out with a new laptop and say, here's a, a 2020 chip in it. Yeah, I mean, M2 would be amazing. And I do think like you were saying, it would be great to take the place of that M1 13-inch Air that's still in the lineup now that you can buy new. Like to just slot in a just to slot in a 12-inch M2 MacBook, and then you have the 13-inch MacBook Air and 15-inch MacBook Air. That seems like a good. It'd be highly disruptive. Apple's never had anything in the market like it, and the last time we had a 12-inch MacBook, I believe it was something ridiculous like 11.99. Like it was, it was an expensive laptop because of its form factor. Apple argued because they had right. to miniaturize everything. It actually was more expensive to make. Kind of like the iPad Mini being more expensive than the iPad 10.9 inch. But I, I just looking at that lineup though. If we get, if we ditch the right. old MacBook Air and the 13 inch MacBook Pro, I that that we go back to that ladder, the price ladder that Apple has of an entry MacBook MacBook 12 inch at like 6.99, a MacBook Air 13-inch right. at 9.99, a 15-inch at 13.99 or 14.99, and then you move up to MacBook Pro, which the 14-inch starts at what? Is it 19.99? The 14-inch, if you buy it new with the M2 chips, it starts at no, it starts at $2,000. It's 19.99. Yeah. Yeah, 19.99. And then the 16-inch is 23.99, I believe. So you have that price ladder from six ninety nine to twenty three ninety nine, and across the MacBook product line, just like with the Mac product line, the desktop. I think that makes a lot of sense for Apple, and I think not a lot of people are really talking about it because they're expecting this twelve inch MacBook to, I don't know, again be somewhere around eleven hundred dollars. I don't believe that looking at the iPad lineup because again, all it is is an iPad brains with a battery and a keyboard and a trackpad. So to the question, again, like you said, 15-inch MacBook Air, maybe it'll come in at that $14.99 price point. I'm looking right now, Apple's certified refurbished store. You can get a 14-inch M1 Pro MacBook Pro with 16 gigs of unified memory, 512 SSD. I always try to go to a terabyte, but on the refurbished store, this is $1,539. But that $1,500 price point, and I just want to say like, because people ask this, and so... If someone is trying to buy a laptop right now, number one, if you can wait, I would wait till like 
WWDC time just to make sure any laptops that might be coming out in the spring have come out. But some people like need to buy a laptop right now, and I totally get it. I think the M2 MacBook Air right now, if you go with that screen size, is a great option. My only caveat, like the only question I ask people when they say, should I get an Air, M2 Air, should I get a 14-inch refurb? I only ask, do you use SD cards all the time? (laughs) Because if you use an SD card, which probably implies that you do kind of like video work fairly often, I say I would get a refurb 14-inch MacBook Pro before an Air. Just that little bit of friction of having to use a dongle just for that one use case of an SD card, I think makes it worth it to have it built in on the 14-inch M1 Pro. And I have the 14-inch and I love it. Like, And I really don't have much desire to upgrade to the new M2 Pro MacBook Pro. Like, It's probably going to be with me for a while. Yeah, my advice is stop looking at the chipsets. Apple's silicon is amazing. And you're not really getting a lot of gains year over year, even across generations. Going from M1 Pro to M2 might sound nice because the number increased, but you're really not gaining that much. That M2 has the media engine that the M1 Pro has. That's great. Like that that processor leap is almost insignificant. The and, and then when you talk about M2 Pro, yes, you're going to in, yeah, increase processing power. But again, are you the type right. of person that's going to be pegging the M1 Pro in the first place? So I would argue just stop looking at the processors. Unless you know that there is a feature in a higher-end M2 chipset that you're not getting on an M1 Pro, then sure, you, you can consider a more expensive newer computer. But if you're looking at the used market in the first place, look at the other features available on that computer. The 14-inch MacBook Pro versus a MacBook Air of any size, you're going to get ProMotion, mini LED backlighting, HDMI, SD card. I just, I love that we are in this place right now where it is hard to choose between so many good things. When for so long, remember when we just had MacBook Pros with USB-C ports? Like that was all you could get. Yeah, I bought an iPad. (laughs) Right, exactly. You moved to an iPad full time. Like, I'm so glad we're out of the dark ages of of no ports. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or no no like useful ports, we'll say. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Their meals taste incredible. They're easy to do. It's my kids enjoy getting into the cooking process and their directions are super easy to follow. Beautiful visuals on the recipes that they give you. Two recipes I just received this week that I'm going to be trying is the crispy Parmesan chicken and beef flauta supreme. I mean, come on, that sounds delicious. No matter your lifestyle or meal preferences, HelloFresh has recipes sure to please everyone at your table. From fit and wholesome to veggie or family friendly, you'll always find something even in the pickiest. You'll always find something even the pickiest eaters will enjoy. You can even customize select meals by swapping proteins or sides, or even adding protein to a veggie dish. And now you can even upgrade for organic chicken or organic ground beef. My family does a lot of organic stuff, and so I love that option. And even if you're not cooking for multiple people, you can get the meals that serve two to four people and then save the leftovers for lunch the next day or even dinner the next. Cook once and you have several days of meals and you know they'll be delicious. So go to HelloFresh.com slash AppleInsider65, all one word, and use the promo code AppleInsider65 for 65% off plus free shipping. What a deal. So go to HelloFresh.com slash AppleInsider65. Use the promo code AppleInsider65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That link and the promo code will be in the show notes so you can just click it there. 
promo code APPLEINSIDER65 for 65% off. Our thanks to HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, yeah, like Mac was so boring and uninteresting to me. I mean, it still kind of feels like it's a technology from 19... 19- 99 or something like this is oh my goodness it is so many <laughs> well i mean i can't believe you don't get more hate tweets from comments like that but yeah go ahead oh i don't i don't i don't think people listen to the podcast for me they listen for william but no no, no, no self-deprecations no. aside no it's <laughs> but seriously like i i still feel like the paradigm of using mac os on a laptop just feels so old that that and i know that sounds weird to p- some people i can but I that's get why it. i used that's why i used ipad in the first place and that's why i'm still hopeful to see ipad grow and apple to push it along because that interface that modularity that's exciting to me versus yeah if it's broke don't fix it is the attitude i get with mac os it's just yep it's worked for the last 20 years and it'll continue working for another 20 years this is great it's solid it's not going to fall apart unless apple does something stupid like windows well, I mean, <laughs> look at Windows. <laughs> just making enemies left and right. Listen, yeah. I, I don't know, I don't know, no, no, no one who. Well, if you use Windows, I'm sorry, uh, and you listen to the Apple Insider podcast, but you're you're a true fan. If if that's you, uh, tweet at me. But anyway, no, no, I get it. I will, I will say, number one, thirty years ago, I was using a com- no, not was it thirty years ago? It would have been twenty five. I was using a compact Presario desktop. And so I will confidently say that the Macs today do not feel like working with that. But I will say. No, no, no. Not speed-wise. I'm talking no, about the, the interface. interface. No, no, so no, I'm not I talking know. about how well they ran. I remember booting up a, let's see, I, I remember what it was like to open up like a LimeWire to download one <laughs> HD Kazaa. music video. I remember, yes, yeah, Like I wanted to watch this Linkin Park video for uh, their new album and it was three minutes long and it took two and a half hours to download this oh absolutely like three minute yeah like i remember how bad it was back in the day because speed constraints were awful oh, i'm yeah. talking about the interface we yeah, are yeah. still using the same mouse with the same pointer clicking sure, on the same sure. objects it just feels archaic i will i will say somewhat to your point when i sit down at my mac studio i am like working yeah and throughout my day i am usually trying to get through the work that I kind of have to do on my Mac, namely video editing and Final Cut or doing whatever on the Mac, because my goal in a work day is to have the rest of my tasks be done on my iPad Pro with Magic Keyboard sitting on my patio. Like I love being able to just work on my iPad outside or like in a place that's not the office because working on the iPad, even if I'm doing work tasks, feels less worky. And I think that feeling is kind of what you're alluding to, like the whole desktop window management, like sitting down at a computer. It does feel not antiquated, but it feels like a little worky. Like it feels like this is like old school work. Whereas when I have my iPad and Magic Keyboard, like I enjoy that experience. It's more whimsical. I mean, let let me me put it another way. Like you don't see anyone in the farming industry trying to think, hmm, I wonder if we can do the plow better, right? Like it's worked for hundreds of years. It's not, it doesn't need to change. Sure. They can motorize it, but it's still a plow. Right. I'm just, that's, that's kind of what I'm equating it to. It's a tool that works. We built it and it continues to work until some radical innovation comes along to really change it. Cause when you look at iPad OS, it's still kind of the same thing. It's just how it's executed is different. It feels like you're yeah. touching the software in a different way versus right. you're kind of at a distance on macOS. That's that's what I'm getting at. And it does feel like when I upload a podcast episode, 
when I do it on my Mac laptop or desktop and I'm clicking with my mouse, it feels just like I'm doing whatever. But for some reason, like if I'm holding my iPad and I tap with my finger, upload audio file, it is different. Like it is literally a different user interaction, but it does feel like kind of more fun. I don't know how to describe it. And so I, I do try to move to my iPad for more and more tasks until it gets frustrating. Then I go back to my Mac because whatever. Yeah, there's a physicality to it. I, yeah, physicality. The iPad is new and exciting. And again, it offers all of these different modular conditions. I can't rip the screen off of my laptop and start touching it, right? Right. I've seen a lot of discourse, and I posted about this like on Macedon and stuff. I've seen a lot of discourse lately from people like Federico Vitici, who was the iPad guy, right? just saying, I'm done trying to make iPad into something it's not. And I completely understand that sentiment because obviously here I am working from a MacBook Pro. I get it. But I haven't given up hope on a new platform paradigm. And I'm hoping that Apple sees a lot of this negativity and they're going to come out and say, okay, this is what we can do to fix it and start listening to people's complaints. That's where it needs to evolve. Yeah. And I I think this this, this is a, I like this topic. Well, we'll have to get back to this. Listeners, if if you enjoy this whole like, what is an iPad? What is a Mac for? Uh, yeah, tweet at us if you'd like to hear more about this. But we we have more news to get to. All right, so we will uh, we'll leave this for now. We will table this for now on your Uplift desk, and we'll come back to it someday. I do want to mention the iMac is totally MIA. <laughs> There's some rumors that maybe the iMac will be refreshed late this year, 2023. Maybe it's waiting for the M3 chip, which seems man like to skip a whole generation. But also, but also. I'm also like, what What else can they do to the iMac? It's such a thin piece of glass with a small chin, and that's the entire computer. Like, I'm not sure what we're going to be asking for in a refresh besides just putting a newer chip in there. The iMac has run into the iPad problem. It is now this <laughs> right. thin piece of glass. Like, what do you like? What is what does the iPad look like in 2030? Right? It's it probably looks just like an iPad. You can't really modify it anymore without changing what it is. Yeah. Well, and I think on the iPad. With the bezel question, because one of the rumors is like the next iPhone is going to have less, even less bezels, which is tiny bezels right now anyway. But like on a tablet computer that you have to hold and interact with, I feel like there's always going to have to be some amount of bezel, even on one side at least maybe to prevent some of that. You need to hold it. You got to hold, you got to hold it. But an iMac, I guess you could say that the bezels will be even smaller, but they're pretty small right now. Like if you look at a 24 inch iMac, pretty small bezels. I can see the, I can see the design changing. Sure. But the form factor is where it's going to be. I mean, Again, like it's so thin they can't fit a headphone jack in longwise, right? <laughs> right. Just update the processor and yeah. throw it out there. Give us give us a little more oomph. That could definitely just be a, a March press release. Like I know there's we're not really expecting any more from Apple before WWDC at this point because of the right. January announcements. But again, everything's behind. This should have been out sooner. We it could have been announced alongside the M2 last summer. Yeah, I think I think you're right though. I think a press release they say M2 iMac maybe a couple new colors, call it a day. Yeah. Like that could be the whole deal. Everyone needs to stop talking about M3, by the way. It's not coming until <laughs> after the M2 cycle. It's not just going to suddenly show up in, in May. Like Right. We need to at least see the M2 Ultra or whatever they put in the Mac Pro. Like that has to happen. I, I mean, I would say at the, at the earliest we should be talking about M3 period is November of this year. That still seems too right. early. Yeah, it does seem early. Okay, I want to talk about this iPhone hardware subscription. This is Mark Gurman. He's talking about all the different financial features or like like fintech, financial tech services that Apple might be offering in the near future. Like Apple Pay Later, which still hasn't launched yet, dealing with financial backend, whatever. 
the Apple Card Savings Account, which was announced, but it also still hasn't launched yet. And then two other things that Apple has not announced, but German is saying is also likely coming soon, Apple Pay Monthly and the rumored iPhone subscription. And one of the things I thought was interesting, the iPhone subscription, if you do the iPhone upgrade program right now, which is actually what I do, you can do the iPhone upgrade program, sign up through Apple, but it's actually not Apple doing the financial backend. If you've ever done that program, you find out it's a citizens one, like zero interest loan you're basically doing. And the monthly payments you're doing is after two years, you could actually own your iPhone. Like you would stop paying payments. You don't have to give it back. Like it's your phone now, you keep it. And that would be the difference between the iPhone upgrade program, which could turn into something like Apple Pay monthly installments if Apple you know, starts. Yeah, you no longer own it. Apple gives you the new phone every year with a box to send back your old one. Right. That would be the iPhone subscription model, basically. Like you, you pay a monthly price infinitely until you decide to stop, but there's never a point. And then shift to a buy program. Yeah. Just, just like buying a car. Right. I would, I would argue though that this is actually, cause this would be bringing in house because Apple, we know that the Apple, uh, pay later is going to be through Apple's own funds rather than through a bank. And this subscription service would likely also be through Apple, which brings up some interesting points. They could actually bundle this with other things. They could do the Apple one bundle with an iPhone, right? And Right. And in the future, add more hardware yeah, yeah, yeah. to it. Do you want a new Apple TV every year? <laughs> Get a new HomePod mini every month. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> just just bring bring the big HomePod on description so I don't cancel it. <laughs> but yeah, and you know, as you think about Apple as a company, every company has to figure out where there's a saturated market and where is there a place for growth. And the financial side of what Apple does, again, has been outsourced either to Citizens One for the iPhone upgrade program and for the Apple Card, it's been Goldman Sachs, which recently Goldman Sachs said that they've lost like $1.2 billion on the Apple Card deal, which also begs the question, would Apple also lose a bunch of money doing the financial services themselves? I'm not sure. Well, the interesting thing around reporting here is, is there's new credit cards every day and there's people paying attention on the fintech side of things of how these things roll out and evolve over time, it almost never earns money immediately. These these kinds of cards are the long-term game. They're getting people into their program and they're getting money in their bank. They're increasing interest. They're getting late payments from people. Ultimately, the more people have the card, the more money they're gonna make. It's at the beginning, especially the first year or two, you're not going to see like the kind of growth that like Wall Street right. expects. Like this isn't some unicorn that's just going to lay money immediately. <laughs> so I don't. I wouldn't look at those numbers and be worried about Apple Card going away or something or like Goldman Sachs backing out. This is just normal. Yeah. But it was enough to say for Goldman Sachs to say, you know what, this whole Marcus thing that we're trying to do and trying to change it back to a Goldman Sachs credit card, that's too much liability. We're just going to go back to being more of a business first model. And that's fine. But it does seem to yeah. have pushed back against the Apple savings account, which was also going to be through Goldman Sachs. Right. My question to you and maybe for our listeners, I've done the iPhone upgrade program for years. I think at least since the iPhone 7 or 10, somewhere around there. And I like it. I like it because Apple Care Plus is built into the cost. I like getting a new iPhone every year. 
Apple's back end through the Apple store of doing that program every year is pretty seamless. I've never missed like a launch day iPhone because the upgrade program was doing weird stuff. So I would think I would probably be the candidate for an iPhone subscription model where I just send the iPhone back every year, I get a new one, and there's never a time where I would own the phone if I you know, kept it for two years. But also, even though I have literally never done this, I also kind of like the idea that if I wanted to keep the phone for two years, I then could own it. And so like my own actions throughout the past five or six years does not like lend itself to for that for me choosing that, you know, but I still like the idea that I could own it after two years. So like, which one would you do if these two options were available? Pay forever, keep getting a new phone all the time or pay forever. But at least after two years, you could choose to own the phone. All right. Well, let me bring some life experience and anyone who's over the age of like 25 might know about this. So I've both bought brand new cars off of the lot. It was the year 2016. I bought a 2016 Honda Civic, Uh right? You know, and I've also went, I was in the military and single. I had money. Just just <laughs> how it goes. Usually those guys that get those bonuses, the first thing they do is go out and buy like the most expensive sports car they can afford. Thankfully, I just got a Honda Civic. Oh, I see. So, <laughs> and, and I've, I did that. And I've also done, let's go lease this car and go lease a 2018 CRV or whatever, right? So from my experience, buying is always twice as much twice as expensive as leasing my payments on a brand new vehicle were in the 550 dollars range per month for a like twenty two thousand dollar car right and my payments for leasing a a very similarly priced car were like 220 dollar a month payments and i have and that's because they know they're getting it back and you're liable for damages you're liable for mileage and stuff there's there's rules there and there will probably be rules with the iphone thing you can't turn in a broken phone that's hanging off by a thread right so, so I have a feeling that this is going to work the same way and I am very much here for it. I'm going to save money wherever I can. And I definitely buy this, the new iPhone every year. So I will sign up for this because it will undoubtedly be cheaper, very likely include some perks. Like here's just do this upgrade program, add $10 to the top and you get the Apple one premium bundle, right? Like, like Apple's going to incentivize this to death and I'm here for it. And Right. I know the other side of this conversation because I've been there, right? I've I've had to get out of serious debt before. Apple entering the payment markets of loans, savings accounts, possibly in the future a checking account even, just all these little things seems scary because sadly the United States is one of the worst countries in the world for finance and our our country likes, I don't know if people overseas are aware of this, it is very much built on predatory loan practices and getting people into debt forever so that they're, they borrow a thousand dollars and then they're paying $50 a month to keep that a thousand dollars basically. Right. Like that kind of stuff is everywhere. And I don't think Apple's going to be that predatory. They even have a clause in the testing phase right now of the Apple pay later that delinquent fees and stuff like that will not affect your Apple ID. They're not going to just shut off your ability to use the app store if you're late on a loan payment. So they could, right? They're they're perfectly within their right to, but again, because laws are weird, but I I think Apple no. is going to play this safe. They want to just like with the Apple card, they want to reinvent financing and I have a little bit more trust for them than say something like Bank of America. So, we'll see how this goes. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see which of these fintech products that they offer and yeah, which one I would choose. I don't know. 
honestly, I'm going to use all of it. I'm I'm absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I this I'm in a good financial position where I I don't have. I don't, again, I don't think there's any risk here. I mean, could you imagine sure. Apple like blundering this in a way? Like just that would be bad, yeah. And I think you know it's funny the checking account thing. Like Apple Pay Cash, it can almost act as that. You know, if you if you did a lot of like payment transfers that way, you can use the Apple Cash card, whatever, to pay like at a POS. If we could direct deposit our right, right, it. that'd be a thing. No, what. I think what's awful, well, because Google, if you, I, I, I bring this up, I don't use the platform, but I'm, I'm aware of the fact that one of those Google Pay systems has a checking oh, yeah. thing in it. Like you can just pay bills with it, right? It's weird. I don't know how it works. I think you can just sign into your existing checking account, but that's kind of what I'm looking for with Apple. I don't think they're going to open a bank with checking accounts in it, but I think you'll be able to no, no. sign into your your thing. Maybe they'll partner with a digital first client like Chase Bank or something that'll let you have more right. utility. But yeah, maybe you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, but I feel safe in the idea of, yeah, let's just do a the savings account with Apple Pay Cash. Let's uh, Next time I want to buy like PlayStation VR twos coming out in a couple of weeks, maybe I'll use Apple Pay later to to pay four payments on that. Or Apple's VR headset is going to be three thousand dollars. Maybe we we need to do four payments on that, <laughs> right? Oh, you know now. Wow, now that you just said that, the last rumor I was going to talk about was Mark Gurman from Bloomberg also saying that once again mixed reality headset at WWDC. That like that's when it's coming. Like that that almost completes the picture if apple could put in place some kind of apple pay later or installment payments and then sells a $2500 mixed reality headset and they say buy it with your apple card and then you can pay for it over the next year two years however long you want maybe it's zero interest maybe it's much lower interest than you would get with other credit cards like that does feel equal but i also want to say on the mixed reality headset just moving away from the financial stuff right moving on. yeah i I, I'm kind of tired of the mixed reality rumors. I'll be honest. Like, I feel like even German has been saying multiple times over the last year, it's coming at WWDC 2022 and then it's coming in the fall of this year. And Oh no, there's a rumor. You can go back to, I saw someone shared on Twitter. You can go back to like 2019, the oh Apple goodness. virtual reality headset possible at 2020 WWDC. Yeah. It's been around for a while because Ming-Chi Kuo started talking about this in like 2016 specifically around apple glass the what at the time it wasn't called that but we call it that now it's the apple right see-through ar glasses that are going to be able to project things into reality that's where it started and it was like yeah 2019 apple glass you know alongside the apple car and the apple spaceship but um <laughs> the then it shifted back they had to walk it back and said you know ar is actually really hard and how are we going to fit all this stuff into a set of glasses apple's going to do a headset first and that started in around 2019 or so and since we've been talking about headset any day now any day now and i think the reality of it is is if you look if you're on the inside of apple pun pun intended right oh, oh gosh no intended. but <laughs> if you look at Apple from the inside, if you're one of those engineers in there, they're like, of course it looks like it's coming out any day now. We've been ordering hundreds of versions of this headset trying to perfect it, and they all are terrible because VR, honestly, is not a mass market item. It is very non-Apple-y in, in its sales pitch. It's going to sell okay. It's going to be for developers to get ready for the AR revolution in the future, but how does Apple release a piece of hardware and not make it about the consumer? So they keep having this internal conflict for years now on why should we even do this and i think this is the same story as the foldable handset the phone or the ipad because 
it was a fad. Oh, it was like th- it was like 3D televisions all over. Here, making enemies <laughs> left and right. Yes. Oh yes. Foldable phones are a fad. <laughs> Fight me. Ooh. I will say the 3D TV thing. I I think that is a good comparison because I remember 3D TV was. Oh, did you? I bought a 3D TV for $5,000. Yes. Oh my goodness. So again, so I was in the military. I was in the (laughs) nuclear field. They gave me money. I was very young and stupid. And I was like, wow, this 55 inch Sony 4K 3D TV, one of the first on the market. I should buy that, Were they active glasses? Did you have to charge them? These were active glasses. You turn them on. (laughs) If you use them on a Navy vessel, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's been long enough. If If you use active glasses on a Navy vessel, the fluorescent lights are wired out of phase. So if you turn them on, it turns the room into a disco because all of the lights are blinking out of phase because the frequency of the glasses are different from the frequency of the lights. It's hilarious. Anyway, I actually owned a few 3D TVs over time. I upgraded to a Samsung one. Long story short, it was expensive and stupid. I shouldn't have done it. But I enjoyed the 3D movies. I still own 3D Blu-rays in a box in my closet that I'm not going to get rid of because they're hilarious. Wow. Anyway, just collected a bunch of them, but they're useless now. I don't I don't yeah. have a 3D TV anymore. I sold all of they're them. They're relics. But like, yeah, it was a fad. It was fun. I spent money on it. I had <laughs> money to spend on it. They it added something to it. A lot of people were like, no, we're not watching this in 3D. So I'd end up watching them myself or with like one other person because it was enjoyable, but silly. 3D gaming on PS3 was a thing for a while. Like that was cool. It was yeah. sickening, but fun. But yeah, like it was a fad and it came and went and no one's talking about 3D anymore. Remember in like 2014 when everyone's like, this Android phone has a 3D screen that you don't need glasses for. Apple is falling behind. Right. I re- oh, I remember I had a friend who had the HTC whatever that had like stereoscopic cameras. So you could like take a 3D picture and then see the 3D picture on the phone, but you couldn't see it anywhere else. Like you had to have that exact phone to see it. And The yeah. Nintendo 3DS with the 3D depth slider like this stuff comes and goes and it was it was of its time people were excited about it but technology evolved beyond it we learned that 3d wasn't it but lidar was and that would be used for augmented reality which is the future right right now anyway and that could change and that's how technology evolves but foldables it's not it's not the future foldables are teaching us how to better (laughs) miniaturize things how to add more moving parts and more technology to a device that is normally stationary and that could evolve into pop-up camera lenses and things that don't die after five months right like these things are evolving in a way that will better future technologies maybe tvs that can you know fold into the wall or something silly i don't know but like it's just not the future of handsets because the technology by the time it becomes cheap enough to make we will have moved on from it I will say I, w- I was actually at a concert the other night and as the concert was going on, people were taking videos of a concert, which let's be honest, nobody watches after the fact, but this person had a foldable phone. I don't know which one it was, uh, it might, but he had it open and it was like square while it was open. So it seemed like one of the, like the taller ones that open up mm-hmm. and he was filming with it. And at first I was like, of all the use cases, it is cool because he's still using the good camera of his phone where, you know, this is the equivalent of like when you see people with iPads trying to take video, they do it because it's a big viewfinder for what they're recording, but the iPad camera is not great. Modern iPads. Sure. Okay. Whatever. But anyway, he's using his good phone camera. He's taking a video and the folded out screen provides a bigger view of what he's capturing. And I thought 
that might be kind of useful. But then I also realized it's a square screen and he's recording video. So he's not seeing some of the video that's being recorded. Like it wasn't letterbox. There wasn't black lines on the top and bottom. It was like zoomed yeah, and in. If you pinch the zoom out. Yeah. If you pinch the zoom out, it would not take up the full screen and the effect would be lost. Right. So I, even that I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, I really don't think people are taking notes on their like handwritten notes in meetings anymore. I think people are typing on whatever devices. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's cool. Yeah, it's I would cool. love to own one of these if they weren't $2,000. Yeah, like, I would love to play with it. They're interesting. They're yeah. fun. But they are not where we're going. And if there's any evidence of that, look at Samsung's last quarter. They had a 69% drop in, I think, revenue or profits, whichever. Wow. I know those are significantly different numbers. But what yeah. they lost a lot of money last quarter. And a lot of, and they've had to cut back on their foldables division, like because they are not selling them. They're right. like as much as they advertise them. Because let me let me give you a hint: the more Samsung advertises something, the more desperate they are to sell it. Right? <laughs> they don't have to advertise the things that are selling well. The okay? S twenty three Ultra or whatever, like that's gonna right. sell. Yeah. And even even then, that's not even their best selling phone. Their their best selling phone costs two hundred dollars, right? right? And it's like the J twenty three or something. And they sell mil- internationally. Yeah. internationally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. But like, so I had a point. Fads. So 3D TVs, foldable phones, virtual reality. Virtual reality is important, right? Again, it's the technology that's leading to future technologies. But regular people, I don't. It's just not going to penetrate businesses. Sure, there's like the Hololens got is gone. Like Microsoft right. has been talking about that device for years, and it's just gone. They're giving up on it. Because even businesses just couldn't find enough practical uses. Sometimes just your eyeballs and a sheet of paper is enough. And so <laughs> right. go, walking all this all the way back, VR and foldables, both inside of Apple, being worked on because the technology at the time was exciting. And it still is. It deserved to be developed. But that does not necessarily mean that Apple has to release it. Even if they spent years and millions of dollars in R&D it may just never see the light of day because consumers have moved on. And I think VR, even this, with PSVR 2 coming out like this this month, and that being still very much part of the zeitgeist, it's like, look at what's happening with Facebook. They're changing. I, I think th- this may, I, I haven't been able to verify this, but I did see evidence that they're probably going to change their NASDAQ ticker back to Facebook instead of Meta. Like, yeah, really? because like, Facebook's still focused on the metaverse, sure, but they they need to go back to where they make actual money, which is Facebook, and <laughs> not this made yeah, up metaverse Instagram, nonsense. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to get to the Dropbox and Apple API thing, but just quickly to wrap up the mixed reality thing, I, I am less and less convinced every time now I, I hear these rumors. But what do you think, percentage wise, that we're going to see this headset launched at WWDC in like three months? Oh, you know. I'm actually, despite all of what I just said, I think it could definitely come out. Like, I'm at, like, 60%. Okay. Because this this does sound like a thing that needs to exist. Again, they're going to sell 12 of them to developers because it's a stepping stone to what's next. It's going to happen. But Apple, I think, is less interested in how much money they're going to make off of it. And that's why it's going to come out. It's going to cost $3,000. They're probably going to make each one as they're ordered rather than stockpiling it. And then they're going to move on from it in two sure. years. And I think that's perfectly fine for this product. I'm 50, 50. I'm going to go a little lower, but I, you know, there's still a chance. I mean, so many rumors you can't ignore it. So I'm going to say 50% chance, but we'll see. We've got a few months away. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Collide. Collide has some big news. Okay. If you're an Okta user, that's O-K-T-A, they can get your entire fleet 
to 100% compliance. How do they do it? Well, if a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Well, Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, which is device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing to stop them. Well, Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agents detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and more importantly, 100% fleet compliance. So visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to learn more or book a demo. You can even get a free trial and Collide gives a free goodie bag with that free trial. Visit kolide.com slash Apple Insider. Collide.com slash Apple Insider. And that link is in the show notes. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, I want to talk about this change that Apple made to it's like Finder API on the Mac and how it's going to affect cloud services like Dropbox. Before, if you installed Dropbox on your Mac, you were able to specify where the Dropbox folder lived in your file structure, including even putting that folder on external or network attached drives. So if you had a bunch of files that you were syncing to your Dropbox, maybe it was gigabytes or even terabytes of data, it didn't have to live on your internal drive on your Mac. It could live on an external or NAS. Well, there's now a change in the Apple API. This is effective immediately and Dropbox is going to push an update that will not be optional to all Dropbox users. <clears throat> but basically, changing the location of your Dropbox folder will no longer be supported by macOS. These next several points are Dropbox's explanation of the changes. They said due to the change of the Dropbox folder location, files that were previously linked in some third-party applications will need to be linked again. Storing your Dropbox folder on an external drive is no longer supported by macOS. Your Dropbox folder in Finder will now be found under Locations and no longer under Favorites, but individual folders from your Dropbox can be moved to the Favorites bar like in the Finder. So basically, you won't be able to choose where that Dropbox folder lives on your Mac, and that might cause some weirdness with like Finder and Search. Now, there are a bunch of people that were saying this is going to mess with their workflow. I actually had one person reach out to me specifically, Stephen Barden, uh, also Stephen with a PH, so uh, thank you very much. But he was basically saying he does a lot of audio work. He typically has his Dropbox folder syncing to an external drive because he works with directors and our clients. And there's like hundreds of gigabytes of files that would not fit probably on his internal Mac if he was syncing all of it. He's got like Pro Tools sessions and all that. I understand, I guess this is probably a security measure for Apple, like basically forcing cloud services. Apple seems to be telling, because I haven't found documentation on this, but Apple seems to be directly telling people affected by this that this is a privacy. I get it. I mean, I'll be honest. I still use Dropbox personally. I don't have it installed on my Mac. Like I don't auto sync the folder anymore. I literally go to dropbox.com and upload or download folders if I need to. I've been using iCloud Drive more often for a lot of my personal files and stuff. And, and it's been working pretty well for that. But I also understand iCloud Drive is still not as robust for some of these like commercial or client work stuff and sharing folders. What, what's happening here, this, this affects the file provider API. And I don't know enough about this. I'm not a developer to really dig in, but I will say this seems to affect a very specific group of apps. So 
someone on the Dropbox forums mentioned, like, we're going to have to move to a different service. Well, I think this is what's interesting here is this is going to affect anything using this API, the file provider API. And I personally don't know how, if I, I, I'm assuming developers can make apps and systems for Mac OS without using the file provider API. They might not be able to use the Mac App Store, but you could still get them. So there will still be services out there that allow you to do mass cloud storage, local storage with an external drive. It just has to go through a completely different system. So it's going to be oh, a more niche use case. It's probably going to be more expensive huh. and you're, you're going to have to pay them directly and not through Apple. And on top of that, I believe why Dropbox is sticking with this API rather than moving to something else so they don't have this catastrophe happen is because it's a more consumer focused business and they want the ease of use of the file provider API. More people are going to use it for, you know, the silly stuff like syncing photos or small document files, not managing an entire video producer network. Right. Well, and I'm curious if there's listeners out there, obviously Stephen Barden is going to be affected. If this is something that you do or would be affected by, let me know. I also know that there's like also third party like Dropbox clients you can use that basically do the same thing. They sync your Dropbox content to your Mac, but you don't have to use Dropbox's first party application. It uses like some other weird thing. I don't know if that is also going to be broken. I've heard Marco Armin talk about it. Yeah, let us know if this affects you specifically. I'd be curious like what actually happens. Supposedly this update is going to be coming out like in the next couple of days. Like you won't It'll be forced. Like it's not even something that you're going to be able to take action on. Yeah. If you restart your computer, the update's installed. It's over. Yeah. I'll have to, we'll have to look more into it, see if there's any documentation in the next few days, and we'll do a, a follow up maybe on the next episode. But yeah, interesting change. Well, real quick here at the end, I do want to say we're not going to talk a ton about Mastodon and Twitter. I had a couple of people on Twitter basically saying they're tired of hearing about Mastodon. I don't know. But I do want to say just personally, I talked about the last, on the last episode that I set up this like IFTTT action to auto post to Mastodon whenever I tweeted. It was still working after the API changes that Twitter made. So like if you wanted to use that system, like go for it. But what I did find, like if I actually want to provide good content to those following me on Mastodon, that kind of auto posting from Twitter was not that kind of auto posting from Twitter was not a great experience because if <laughs> sorry. Because if you would do like multiple photos, like if I posted like three photos in a tweet, it would basically just show up as like a Twitter link to Mastodon. Or if there was like a link to the Apple Insider podcast and a photo, basically the Mastodon post was like several t.co links and you couldn't see anything. There was no preview. Like it was a bad experience. So I turned it off. I think come like event time, like the next time there's an Apple event and I'm going to be like live posting updates, I might turn it back on then just because time is usually of the essence and it's going to be pretty difficult to manage posting to those two platforms manually. And typically in those situations, like I'm just posting like regular text and hashtags. Yeah. But if it's just text and hashtags, this, this works. Right. But as soon as you move beyond that, if, if you tag a person or tagging, if you add right. any metadata, anything, yeah, it ruins it. The tagging thing is weird. Also, I, I said I was going to talk about Mastodon, but related, I figured I had to like run your own Mastodon <laughs> server, which I thought was pretty cool. There's like hosting providers where you could pay $6 a month and do it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it too. Like I, it's literally all set up. Like I, I could press a button and be on my own server. But as some people on Mastodon pointed out, when you go to discover or go to the local timeline in Mastodon, it only shows people from that server. And so I would not appear for people that are on like the mastodon.social server and like discoverability might 
take a hit, like for people finding me? A little bit. You'd have to just, again, hashtags are everything on Mastodon. And you can use apps like Mona to follow other servers' locals. So you could actually make your own server, then add Mastodon.social and stuff like that to your account right. and then go post from there. It's interesting. I, there's workarounds. People are trying to figure this out. But all you really need is people from other servers to boost your post and you're still getting discovered. You're still I did want to mention yeah. the reason why your Twitter thing might have still been working is because they actually haven't shifted over the API. They delayed it again. So that's yeah. right. That's right. That I will eventually that. break. I'm sorry. There's no read permission going to happen in this new API world, regardless of what they do. They are trying to offer a free read API for like what, like 1500 tweets. But yeah, we're getting there. All right. All right. And last thing, I had this on the list to talk to you specifically about, and it's mechanical keyboards, because I have several mechanical keyboards. I have the Keychron K2 and the K3. I got them several years ago. Every once in a while, I'll pull them out, excited to loudly type and clickety-clack and have my kids go, what's that? Like they, every time I type on the Keychron K2, it's like the entire house wonders what's happening. I always want to try and use it. I kind of like typing on it. I always go back to the Magic Keyboard for a couple reasons. And after I tell you my reasons, maybe you can convince me to use a mechanical keyboard after that. Number one is Touch ID. Touch ID is just so good on the Mac now. It's built into the Magic Keyboard. Using a mechanical keyboard, I literally have to keep my Magic Keyboard somewhere accessible for that Touch ID thing. And that feels like double work. And so Touch ID always has me come back. The key layout, a lot of mechanical keyboards, they'll put the command key where it belongs, but not the option key on the right side. Like if you look at Apple's Magic Keyboard, command and option are both on the right and left of the space bar. And I have so many shortcuts and hotkeys that I do where I will use the option and command on the right side. And my Keychron K2 and K3 both lack that button. Now I know I could remap buttons or whatever, but I don't want to get into that. Also, paste and match style is something I do all the time. If you don't know about the keyboard shortcut, you should do it. And that's shift option command V. And so like that alone, I do multiple times a day and I can't do it on the mechanical keyboard easily. There's that. And then finally, wrist angle. And maybe you've figured this out, but whenever I type on the mechanical keyboard and I like the K2 more because it's louder and it feels more substantial, but I use a wrist rest on the K2 because otherwise it's uncomfortable. But I, I can never get it ideal. And if I don't use a wrist rest and try to just like hover my hands over the keyboard, like that feels weird. And I try it for a day. I try to get used to it for maybe a day or two, but I just always go back to the Magic Keyboard. And so is there any secret to transitioning to a Magic Keyboard? There's one guy on, on Mastodon, Brad Thornborough. He said that he tried the K1 and K3 and those didn't work for him. But for some reason, the K8 really worked and it, it just clicked, pun intended. Uh, so I don't know. How, how do you get used to a mechanical keyboard, Wes? Well, you just get good. That's my only advice. Well, all right. That wraps it up. That wraps it up. I mean, I've been using mechanical keyboards <laughs> for a while. I don't really use Apple's Magic Keyboard anymore unless it's like on an iPad keyboard or, or the actual MacBook keys. I use the Q1 Pro Keychron right now. Right. It's the, you can, it's, yeah, it, it weighs like a lot. Right. It's stainless steel. You could probably use it as a home defense weapon, but. It's really, it's really nice. I like it. it. Has a volume knob. Your issue with the keys, it, it's because you're just you're doing mechanical keyboards wrong. Just change the keycaps and reprogram the keys. <laughs> 
Do it one time. I'm holding it wrong. Change the keycaps, reprogram the keys to be what you want it to be using. I'm holding it wrong. What is that thing called? It's it's a it's a key. Yeah, but forget all that nonsense. You can program the actual keyboard system settings using via you can do it in system settings software. Some keychrons don't do this, but most of the new ones do. They're programmable key sets. So the actual each like key can be programmed. This isn't a Mac OS fix. This is you're programming the keyboard. So if you plug it into an iPad or any other Mac in your house, it will still be programmed to use those keys that way. And yeah, you can program macros. You can change the volume knob to be a slider in Photoshop if you want to. Like, like you can really go in. So you do it one time. You change the keycaps to say the right option command or whatever, and you're done. Don't do it in Mac OS. Do it via the keyboard software. But yeah. Outside of that, actually learning to type on it, it's it's just a learning curve. You'll have to get used to it. You have to find what's comfortable. I use okay. a wrist rest. The Q1 Pro is a really high up mechanical keyboard. Uh, the wrist rest I have is made by Keychron. It rests right against it. It keeps my hands at a reasonable height. I Sometimes I hover, sometimes I actually rest it down. It just really depends on how I feel. And yeah, okay. you just kind of just got to do it. Just get used to it, I guess. It's different. You're... It's like holding a different controller. It's like using an Xbox controller and then using a PlayStation controller and like being like, why are all the buttons in the wrong place? Well, okay. 10 minutes ten minutes into the video game, you're going to forget those buttons are in the wrong place. And I think it works the same way for keyboards. Do you have the red, brown, or banana switches? I don't know what banana is, but I usually get the <laughs> red switches. Red, yeah, red is a nice clickety-clack. Not too loud, but it still makes a, a clacking, but you get pretty good from it too like the keys pop back into place quickly and they're they're i've used brown switches too but those tend to be louder i think i'm not trying you can't order it right now it's just on kickstarter you have to pre-order it so oh yeah i review units are weird i never know what's out or not anymore we we reviewed this on apple insider i think tyler hayes actually did the final review and you can see that live on our website so gotcha okay i'll put a link to that i will Maybe I'll reach out to them. Maybe I can get an early thing or whatever. I'll try it. I'll, I'll, I'll try it once again, but I'll try the Q1 Pro. Listeners, if you have a mechanical keyboard that you love, let me know. And to the like button getting used to thing, I just want to say I did finally play GoldenEye on the Xbox One S. The nostalgia level was incredible. I mean, I was just reliving my adolescence. It was amazing. I played GoldenEye last week on my Nintendo 64 downstairs. Oh, see, I still got it for my <laughs> Nintendo 64 too. I still got it for that, but I wanted to try the the remastered 4K, quote unquote. If I'm going to play it on the Nintendo Switch, I'm going to go buy the Bluetooth Nintendo 64 controller and play it with that. At that, I I did it on the Xbox. I don't know why. I do. I would want to get the N64 controller because the Xbox the controls were so weird. I went through like (laughs) it's so weird. Yeah, the C mapping the C buttons to the second analog stick does not work. The C buttons. The C buttons is what messed me up. And I tried several different like controller configurations. I finally got used to, I think it was the domino controller configuration. I finally did that. But anyway, I just want to say that the facility level for GoldenEye, (laughs) where if you finish it under two minutes and five seconds, you get the invincibility cheat. I still got it. I still did it. Nice. I still did it. Nice. Uh, It took me like, I don't know, probably two hours. (laughs) It took me a couple hours, but I did it. It's so funny because we're not we're again, we've talked about our age before. We're not that far. No, apart, we're not that far. But generate but generationally though, we're in that weird hump where Goldeneye for you was like you were like a teenager or something, yes, right? I like was. and and it was like this video game is built for me, it's made for me, I can play it, I understand what's happening. I was like 
seven <laughs> and right. i was able to jump in and play it i had a i have a nostalgia for it too because we me and my friends would get together the four player split screen and stuff but i had no idea what that game was about i didn't know what double was like we watched the movies growing up but it was just it just was a different element in my head so you talking about like yeah i did all these special things like man you handed me a controller i had a gun and i was shooting people and that's what i was <laughs> like that's the difference in and like yeah. in, in immersiveness of this game from back then i just had to laugh at that yeah yeah that's fun all right well very cool well listeners again uh, let us know what mechanical keyboards do you absolutely love so maybe i can try them also you can tweet or mastodon wes and myself we're both very active on both platforms those links are in the show notes you can of course support the show directly in apple Podcasts, and you get an ad-free version of the show plus early access thank you to all of those who support the show and just thank you for everyone for listening we'll talk to you next time